Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where John Negroni and Will Ashton discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. So sit back, relax, and pour one out for the two and only Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I am your cinema host, John Agroni from the Internet, California. And from the Internet, Pennsylvania, please give a round of applause to Will Ashton. Oh, thank you, thank you. You're too Sorry. kind. You're way too kind. I forgot to say silent applause, my bad. Oh. oh. Yeah, ruined your thank yous. And live from the broadband basement, we of course have, all the way from the broadband basement, I messed that one up, Soundmaster Maverick <laughs> Hines. Ah, hello. I'm sipping on my my evening coffee, my cinemaholic coffee. You're wearing such huge hipster glasses. You look so cool. Why do you? What? <laughs> this week we're doing a featured spoiler-free review and discussion of King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, followed by some mini reviews of Alien Covenant, which we're going to talk more in depth next week. But Will Ashen saw Alien Covenant ahead of us, and he's not going to be here next week, so he's going to let us know what he thought. Spoiler-free. Yeah. Can't wait. We're also going to talk about Snatched, uh, the, the film talk, uh, starring Amy Schumer, Goldie Hawn, uh, Master of None, season two. We've seen uh, not the whole season, but I've seen almost the whole season. I'm like two episodes away. And a few other things, uh, like The Wall. And uh, we're, you know what? We're going to kick this episode off actually with a big question. What is your favorite King Arthur movie uh, before we do our featured review? But before we get into that, we have an email to get Before to. we get into that. So we got this email 10 days ago. And I, I did. I, I didn't respond because you, you will. You understand. So this is from Alex. Alex has emailed us a lot. He's a frequent cinemaholic. Thank you, Alex. All around. Thank you. Great person. He's the only one, actually. And Alex, yeah, it's only, all him. Uh, he's just like yes. Yeah, so he has so many email accounts. And he asks us, "Hey, can <laughs> you guys review the new DC comedy Powerless? It's told from the perspective of the regular citizens who have to deal with superheroes." Well, uh, the reason I... Didn't that literally get canceled, like, well, just this week? This is why I didn't... Because we got that email, and I thought, I guess we could talk about Powerless. I've seen a few episodes. I don't like the show. And I had a feeling it was going to get canceled because it's May and the sweeps and everything. So I wanted to wait. So, Alex, we, we, can, we, we can't really review the show because we haven't seen the whole thing. And I can say that I watched a few, I watched a few episodes, and I was bored of tears. Even though it had, had some of my favorite... had Alan Tudyk, and it had Abed. Danny Pudi. Yeah. Did you see any of it, Will? No, but I heard that initially, like, there was a pilot that they aired at Comic-Con maybe two or three years ago that was supposed to be really good. Hmm. And then, for whatever reason, I guess NBC interfered. And then they NBC cast interfered. Vanessa Hudgens. No, no, no. Like, I guess, like, the actors they had were all placed. It was just that what happened was, I guess the DC references were a lot more subtle. Mm-hmm. Like, there was this ongoing joke where, like, one of the co-workers thought uh, another co-worker was actually Green Lantern in disguise. So she kept, like, trying to find ways to figure out if he was actually the Green Lantern oh, and stuff. And it was, like... But I guess... I don't know. I haven't watched the pilot, but from what I saw in the trailer, I guess, like, the DC references that they added are a lot more overt. They're yeah. Like, it's like, whoa! Bruce Wayne is Don't call me Batman. Yeah. 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 Well, the one of the main characters, Alan Tudyk's character, is Bruce Wayne's cousin... And his whole thing is like, yeah, you know, like I talked to Bruce Wayne. He was like, stop texting me. So there's stuff like that. And it's, I don't know, the idea is interesting and I I really wanted to like it, but Mm -hmm. I was just bored. I didn't think it was very interesting. Like I I was like, I don't really care what happens to any of these people because I didn't, the whole premise, it was like a better off Ted show where you had like scientists coming up with inventions to help people from superheroes and uh, yeah, collateral damage and stuff. I don't know. I wasn't that into it, but it's canceled. It's not coming back. Yeah. I would love to see the original pilot. If that ever gets leaked online, I'll definitely check that out, just based on what I've heard about it. But otherwise, I don't think I'm ever going to really watch any of it. We'll, so. we'll probably get that the same year that they finally released Topher Grace's uh, Star Wars Master Cut, the prequels. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but... Yeah, where he like edited into like one eighty-five minute film or something. Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's super short. It like st- I think it starts with uh, the Darth Vader scene, and uh, or the Darth Maul scene. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see it so badly. Uh, anyway, let's let's get into the main thrust of the episode. So, 
Yeah, I know, right? So we did get positive feedback this week about starting with like a rewind sort of thing. So we talked about the first Guardians of the Galaxy before we talked about mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, oh, and by the way, if you're listening to this, watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to the audio podcast on iTunes, and please leave us a review if you like our show and you want it to continue. And we want to hear from you, of course. So part of this week's feedback, we were asking you guys a question like last week. Uh, email us cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com and let us know what is your favorite <clears throat> King Arthur movie. It could even be the new King Arthur movie if that's the case. But we're gonna Which it's not going to be. Excluding present... King Arthur movies. We're going to go around and we're just going to say briefly, what is our favorite King Arthur movie and why? There are a lot of them. It, it is a cinema tradition to remake. I, feel, I think like a new King Arthur movie comes out pretty much every decade. So everybody has like their King Arthur movie. And uh, yeah, let's start with Will Ashen. Will, what is the King Arthur movie that just, it just, you know, grinds your grails? I'm going to go with my gut on this one and say Sword of the Stone. Is that the cartoon the one? Because that was King Arthur, right? It was. It is based yeah, on yeah, with the like kid once in. It's based on Once in Future King. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I have seen that one, the Disney one. Yeah, yeah. So, so Maverick was like, I haven't watched any King Arthur movies, and we had to be like, Well, you watch this one. <laughs> He's like, Yeah. And you watch this one. Yeah. So you've watched a bunch of King. I've Arthur seen movies. three. Sorry, I didn't mean to take so your this thunder. Is Will's time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all I had to say. I just think that one's my favorite. I don't know if it's the best, but it's my favorite. So. That's all we're talking about, our favorites. Because honestly, I yeah. don't think there is a King Arthur movie that is better than all the rest. I think they're all so different, and they all kind of are good in different ways or terrible in different ways. Why is sort of the yeah. story my favorite? I mean, to me, that was my introduction to King Arthur. I mean, to me, like when I think of King Arthur, that's just what comes to mind. And I just think the characterization of like King Arthur and Merlin and just the way they handled a lot of the mythology is not only kind of inventive, but just generally pretty charming and I think more enjoyable than not. So, I mean, if we're talking about the one I've seen the most, it'll probably be My Python, The Holy sure. Grail. But yeah, it, I, which is weird because like that's not the movie. I that's a great way to put it. Like the one you think of when you think of King Arthur. For me, it's definitely mm-hmm. not Sword in the Stone or Monty Python, mainly because Sword in the Stone. I didn't even like that movie as a kid. I always thought it was really hmm. boring for some reason. I didn't like... I, I don't know. I just felt it was very, like, meandering. I even said that as, like, a sure. five-year-old. I was like, this is quite... Uh, no, but I, I, I never, bet that's what you were like as a kid. This is kind of... Swirling your juice box, <laughs> yeah. like, in your With hand, a monocle like, that he made mm, out of, like, fuzzy right. uh, the pipe cleaners. I mean, it's a fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's more of a it's just kind of condescending, movie. right? Like... Bites kind of movie. <laughs> Um, no, I, the, my favorite is definitely uh, Excalibur, just because that was probably the first King Arthur movie that I saw. Because I, I actually, when I was a kid, I, my introduction to King Arthur in a way that, like, I don't know, that kind of made me really fall in love with the mythology was the actual, like, book. Um, so, like, the stories and everything that start with, like, Merlin and Uther. And, uh... But Excalibur was the first movie I saw where I was like, oh, this is really fun. This is really exciting. Because Monty Python is like a straight-up comedy. But Excalibur is actually right. like, you know, it's, 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 a little bit, it's a little bit more grounded. It still has like, I think Excalibur is like one of the few King Arthur movies that has like everything. It's got like the lightheartedness. It's got like the magic. It's got like the sword fighting. And it's actually in, it was shot in Ireland. I, I think that it's not an mm-hmm. amazing movie or anything. Um, I don't think it's as iconic as something like Monty Python, but or Camelot or something like that. But I don't know. I, I, it's like that cheeky '80s version that I, I've always like looked back on and wanted to revisit. Yeah, more than once. What about you, Maverick? Is it is it like super long too? It's like two and a half hours or something like that. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to take your yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, well, if you could slow down. Um, <laughs> so you know what, guys? I had an answer before we got here, and I just found my new answer. Uh, my favorite King Arthur thing is that episode of Fairly Odd Parents. Were were they spinning <laughs> up? I'm just. I was like, I know I've seen a cartoon. It's Channel called. Chasers. It's called the Nighty Night. It's a bedtime story on Fairly Odd Parents. So, quality. Uh, mine. I mean, <laughs> you guys had to tell me which ones I've seen. So I think that reflects pretty well on how much these movies mean to me. You're like Maverick, you've seen this, right? I'm like, I don't know. Probably. I didn't even know what Sword of the Stone was until Will just mentioned it like a minute ago. <laughs> so. I mean, it's an old Disney movie. I like that one. I remember watching. I watched that one a lot as a kid. I think that was one of my favorite ones as a kid. Um, so I guess that one. I could honestly care less about the story, just in general. So, 
It's just, it's not me. I don't know. Hmm. I'm surprised none of us then ended up saying Monty Python. I mean, I, and I don't know. I feel like well, I'm going to get some heat for this. But, like, I feel like I'm one of the few people in the world who, like, just does not care about Monty Python and the Holy Grail at all. Oh, wow. Um, I And that's one of those ones that I've, like, I've seen right. a bunch. And I've seen it enough to, like, be able to make a good decision on it. And, like, I never found it that yeah. funny. I mean, a couple of, you know, like, the, the it's only a flesh wound joke. Like, that stuff, like, that mm-hmm. joke was really funny. But that was, like, I think the only time in the movie that I laughed. And it just, it, I don't know, yeah. maybe it's just because, like, silly humor isn't really my thing. Yeah, you're really serious. Yeah, I'm super just, like, focused dry humor all the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It just wasn't, so I don't care about Monty Python at all. So, like, by just by deduction, Whoa. like, just, like, the only movie that's left for me is the Fairly Odd Parents episode. Oh, yeah. Nighty yeah. <laughs> night. Yeah. I'll say that My Python Holy Grail is probably my least favorite My Python movie. Just because I think I was too hyped for it going in. Like, I remember before I saw it, everyone was like, dude, it's, like, I so mean, good. I lot. And I saw it, I was like, it's a good movie. Yeah, I've seen Spam a lot, too, and it's a, it's a good musical. But I just feel like Life of Brian and, like, The Meaning of Life are a lot more clever and a lot more, I don't know, just, like, the way they approach those subjects, I feel a lot more cheeky and a lot more my style humor than my Python, which is, like, absurdist, like Maverick was saying, but, like, more, like, absurdist in the sense that's, like, appealing to, like, a general audience, whereas... Life of Brian and the media of life feel a lot more s- specific, I think. And I like that approach more than just like broad general humor. I, I don't disagree with you guys at all, but I feel like we're getting like super hipster about Monty Python. So yeah, <laughs> uh, there were a few other King Arthur movies I was thinking about like first night. I've always had a soft spot for it's kind Never of terrible, it. but I mean, it's Richard Gere as Lancelot. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I, I always thought that was pretty fun. And of course, Sean Connery, uh, what did, what did you guys think of the most recent King Arthur movie, the 2004 one with Clive Owen? With I remember Keira Knightley was scantily clad, and that's about it. Didn't see it. Don't know what you're talking about. So it came out in 2004, and it's uh, it, it it was like the gritty realism King Arthur. There's like no magic, and the whole thrust of the first part of the movie is like thrust the word of the week for me or something. Apparently, I don't know what's on your mind, but <laughs> yeah, heyo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, I, I liked the setup. I like I did I do remember like really liking what they did with the Welshman, and I thought it was an interesting war movie. But I was like thirteen when I saw it, and I never I, I liked it, and I watched it a lot actually when I was a teenager. Hmm. But apparently, it's not that great. I haven't revisited it, but apparently, like at the time, people thought it was a disaster, mainly because there was like no magic in it, and it just. Kira Knightley as Guinevere is probably as quin- cringeworthy as I remember. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, I remember it being pretty disappointing, but like more than just like, well, that was a waste opportunity than like a disaster. If I wasn't swirling my juice but, box, I mean, you, <laughs> you yeah. were doing something with uh, your Nesquik? Or, well, I don't know. How old was I when I, I must have been, been like nine or something? I guess. Was I? Maybe I watched it late because I remember 10. being like 10 or 11. Yeah, maybe 10 or 11. So. Maybe I saw a couple years later, so... <laughs> I think we I don't know. just really liked it because I really liked the... Just... I like the setup of, like, a bunch of, like, kids, like, fighting together for, like, 15 years, and I like that setup a lot. I, I don't know. But, I mean, other than that, it's not really an Arthur, sure. King Arthur tale, so I understand why a lot, most people are just like, this isn't really King Arthur. But it is, like, King Arthur is one of those things that it, it can be broadly interpreted, which brings us to Guy Ritchie's interpretation of the movie. So let's let's kick off our our official review of King Arthur Legend Seamless of the Sword. Seamless transitions. Know, right? Uh so this is this is a film that was actually shot a couple of years ago. It's finally releasing. Uh apparently it was in post-production uh, turmoil. Yeah, they spent a lot of time editing this one, didn't they? Well, and, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't realize this any of this until after we had seen it. Uh, the IMDb synopsis is robbed of his birthright. Arthur comes up the hard way in the back alleys of the city, but once he pulls the sword from the stone, he is forced to acknowledge his true legacy, whether he likes it or not. Directed by Guy Ritchie, uh, he also wrote the screenplay along with actually four other writers. Surprise, surprise! And uh, I think that actually is pretty obvious. The movie stars Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy, of course, uh, and Lost City of Z, which we saw pretty recently. Good movie. Uh, Astrid Bridges Frisbee, which a name I can't really pronounce, is in this, along with Jude Law, Jimon Hunsu, one of my favorite actors of all time. Eric Bennett and Aiden Gillen as well. 
Oh, and Tom Wu from Marco Polo plays uh, Thousand Eyes in the Marco Polo hmm. on uh, Netflix. I don't know if you guys have ever partook in that series. Nope. So let's start with you, Will Ashen. What are your general impressions of King Arthur Legend of the Sword? Did it live up to your expectations as both... I, I, don't, I don't know, actually, are you a fan of Guy Ritchie, first off? Well, I mean, I've only seen, like, half of his filmography. I haven't watched the earlier stuff, like Lock, Sock, and Two Smoke and Barrels. Shamefully, I haven't seen. I haven't seen Snatch. Snatch. Oh. Sorry. Uh, haven't seen that one that everyone calls pretentious with Jason Statham. Uh, Revolver, I think it's called. When did that one come out? 2002, I think. I've never seen that one either, yeah. I just know it's like that movie where he's like trying to like be an artiste and mm-hmm. it kind of backfired for him. And so then he went to Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I've, I've seen Sherlock Holmes. I've seen Man from Uncle and uh, I feel like there's another one or two I've seen, but I'm blanking on what they are right now. But I, I mean, he's one of those guys, I think it really just depends on what he's given. Like, I like the Sherlock Holmes movies. I'm kind of mixed on man from uncle and this movie, I can definitely see his influence over it. I mean, it's definitely for better for worse, a guy, Richie movie. It's not like him as a studio for hire, just or a director for hire, just coming in and just like ex- making sure everything is shot. But I don't know. It's just, it's just such a weird movie. It like the first 20 minutes of this movie are like gloriously insane. Like, there's a giant elephant, and it's, like, all fast cuts, and, like, Eric Bana throws a horse over a cliff to, like, jump into this, like, spawner thing, and and then, like, later there's, like, the sex kraken with, like, three bodies that feeds on the innocent that Jude Law is, like, in cahoots with or something. Yeah, it's, it was, like, a it felt like if The Witcher, the video game, did Little Mermaid, then that's what that would have looked like basically yeah it's like repulsive but like i'm intrigued by it like i just can't imagine like what like if you were just like a once or twice a year moviegoer and you saw that what you'd think of it mm-hmm. but i just saw that and i was like well i'm glad that guy richie got that into this like 200 million dollar production uh but yeah i don't know i mean to me like there's like interesting moments in this film but overall it just like it just feels like a meddling studio film that like has the desire to be a King Arthur movie and wants to not be your dad's King Arthur, but doesn't really have like an overarching purpose or like a new thing to say with the legacy. And like we were saying before, there's so many movies with King Arthur that do so many different things, but I feel like the ones we mentioned at least propel the mythos in a way that's interesting or at least charming. And this movie wasn't really charming or interesting. It was just like, well, there's a couple cool action scenes, I guess. And, there's a couple of funny beats, but overall, I just found it kind of lackluster. Uh, Matt Donato of, of We Got This Covered definitely agrees with you. He gave it a two out of five stars, said it was disappointing. He said Guy Ritchie's King Arthur is a tonal jumble that's certainly no heir to the throne, as it's never rock steady in approach or execution. Hey, I have to say, like personally, I'm uh, I I'm actually kind of fascinated by this film in all of its failures because I, I I'm someone, I, I don't know. I, I've never been the biggest Guy Ritchie fan. Uh, I think the first Guy Ritchie fan or the first Guy Ritchie movie I actually ever saw was rock and roll. And, Oh, that's it. That's the movie. I, that's the other one I saw. Yeah. And I, I watched it cause like at the time I was a big Gerard Butler fan, you know, he had just done 300 and I, I just remember not being all that impressed. I, I thought Sherlock Holmes was fine. And then I heard they were doing this one and it's, it was going to be like, it's a Sherlock Holmes, but for King Arthur. And I, I remember being really excited about that because, like, oh, that's cool. You know, Sherlock Holmes was okay. The sequel was fine. But then they did uh, they did Man from Uncle. And I was like, well, that wasn't super great. I've seen Snatch and Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrel, or however you say it. Those movies, I think, were I really liked actually because they like really doubled down on like we're in London and we're brawlers. <laughs> and like, you know, I think his present day work is really interesting. But whenever he tries to do like, I don't know. He tries to do like other things. Like he tries to jump into other people's period pieces, like Man from Uncle, or in uh-huh. this case, like the Arthurian legends. I think he just, I, I don't know. He, he just wants to turn. He wants to turn this into like a really. It, it felt like I was watching like a ton of advertisements 
for a movie mm-hmm. instead of like a movie, you know, with some cohesiveness. Like I'd love to see him do like a music video, to be honest. In fact, there's even a part of this movie where I was convinced that this was like a movie trailer. Like like the way that the music cut in and the yeah. way that the shots are going, I was like, this is a trailer. This isn't it, it reminded me a lot of Suicide Squad, actually. And I can see that. I actually I, I kinda I rated this movie the same as Suicide Squad. I think that it, it has so many things wrong with it. it, it and the worst thing about it, because we could talk all day, the worst thing about this movie, honestly, is that it's just too long. I, there were things that I oh, yeah. really liked in the first like two thirds, and I was with it. I was like, this this seems to me like this is solid. Like I would recommend this movie, and there were there were enough there was enough good in it that I was like, okay, I'm I'm with you, movie. But then the last thirty minutes felt like an hour, and I was done and the more i've reflected on this movie the more i'm like that there really wasn't much to speak of in there but uh yeah maverick you saw you saw king arthur as well mm-hmm. where where are you at with the movie <clears throat> um i think my issue with this movie is that i went in just a little too hopeful mm-hmm. and i was just let down but i have to say like I mean, this wasn't nearly as bad as some of the other things that i've had to talk about like i would watch this 700 times before i would look at the circle again so like you know what i mean so <laughs> so it's not like it was a bad movie i just like i don't know i felt like for being this this intense action sequence kind of movie i wasn't as entertained as i thought i was going to be because i was distracted a lot of the time um John, I told you after the movie too. One of the main fight sequences at the end, one of the the big battles, mm-hmm. reminded me of that scene in um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer, yeah. where it just automatically switches to like a CGI mess, and you're like, "Wait, what just oh, happened?" Oh yeah, it reminded me of Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, and, and and there were moments like that where I don't know. I just felt like a lot of these important action moments were either okay or like chaotically bad, <laughs> just like scattered not really well put together it didn't seem like they were thought through it's like oh this would be cool just do it and however it turns out we'll just put that in the film Mm -hmm. and i felt like there could have been a lot more thought into that now there's one exception to that and that's one of the first times he uses the sword that time i was like okay this one's good that was a well done scene and i was hopeful i was like okay cool so maybe this sequence this is going to turn around it's going to start being good and then the very next time we have a similar fight sequence it's like a computer game again yeah yeah and Mm -hmm. I just felt like I I didn't understand how those sequences and and scenes could be so inconsistent um, with one another, just in the context of if you isolated them and watched them all in a sequence, I'd be like, wait, what? Like, is this the same movie? (laughs) You know, which is why, like looking at this movie, the, the thing that frustrates me the most, I guess, is that you have so much lore and mythology to fall back on. And it's not just in the execution. I think you're talking about, but also just the story itself they replace like the really the best things about the King Arthur legends with well, like I, really typical yeah. like well I haven't even I haven't got there yet I, I'm just I'm yeah specifically just talking right now about the visual fights like those were things that were really distracted and bothered what me. I'm saying though is like if the if the story had been better like if there was something interesting going on there like if there oh more if, faithful, if there was something to hold on to yeah then you then I could have had an easier time yeah with, those like, would be a little bit more forgivable ridiculous plot hole you know yeah. CGI snakes you know stuff like that <clears throat> for sure yeah so I mean that was that was a big thing for me um, I will say the score was good I did like the music oh yeah didn't hurt the film. I mean, it wasn't like, oh my god, this is incredible, but it didn't hurt the film, and it, I don't feel like it stood out to me. So that he was knew, cool. He knew like what melody he wanted to play for this movie. Like mm-hmm. he he knew like what the pace, the energy, and the score needed to be. It's just everything else. It, I don't think it matched it. I, like I don't think that. Well, I part, partly in, in my review, I pointed out that I really think that the studio came in. And just butchered this film because apparently it was supposed to be more than one movie, and they condensed it. Mm. They were they wanted to make a franchise out of this, six films, and I think this was supposed to be like a trilogy or something. Right? Interesting. Yeah, so that's why we don't have some of the most you know iconic characters here. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, I can't remember now. Uh, I got distracted by your tantalizing words, John. Oh, one of the other things I said to you. Um, when we left the movie was that I felt like a lot of the time they did these 
just kind of random cutscenes in important parts, mm-hmm. and then slowed the movie down to have like a really boring sequence after that. Yeah, and it was really confusing to me. Like, they, like uh, when he goes into uh, actually, I don't want to give anything away, so I don't want to say so. But he goes on this kind of like spirit journey, you know, kind of like the montage scene of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And they do like this cutscene through it, and then they stop and listen to him like talk really slowly and boringly for five minutes. And I was like, I wish that was <laughs> like, I wish they would have done the cutscene stuff through a lot of the conversation versus the stuff that was actually interesting, like him going through this tribulation. And I get that that's part of the movie, but still, I just, I felt like a lot of times they they would, they would rush and then stop for a boring part and then rush and then stop for a boring part. I'm I'm fairly convinced that those sequences you're talking about and like big chunks of this movie were literally like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign (laughs) because you know what I'm talking about? Like the rebels are here and I'm on horseback and we're having banter and now we have to go on this pointless side quest to arbitrarily advance the plot, like that kind of thing. Uh, and then they like basically rush the ending, all that stuff. So anyway, uh, this, this was like my summation of the movie. I said, King Arthur, legend of the sword reimagines the Arthurian legend himself as a UFC fighter trapped in a God of war video game, trying to be an episode of game of Thrones. If that doesn't sound appealing to you, then maybe the studio can recut this mess for you again. So I was kind of mean, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like they went in there and they took what was already, I think, like a weak idea of like, oh, it's King Arthur, but also he has daddy issues. And also like his uncle is evil. Have you ever seen that story before? He's a reluctant hero. And I'm just like, I don't care. There's nothing new there. They didn't even try. Like the female character that they could maybe have spiced things up with. She has no story arc great actress but i mean who, she's i've heard people say that she's supposed to be guinevere they never say her name she's just the maid yeah. right i and thought like, she was more like merlin-esque to be honest well i was hoping that it was like oh are they gonna like do uh you know oh she's really merlin like that would be i guess interesting like whatever just do something with her yeah. but she doesn't learn anything throughout doesn't the movie. she just she like kind of disappear for like 20 minutes there. in the middle of the movie she's apparently able to like use creatures at her will and do these amazing things, but when they like, and there are also several times in the movie where she doesn't use appear. these powers, and it could save everybody. I don't know. If you have a fear of snakes, I would not watch this movie. Oh yeah, the snakes are heavy with this one, especially if you're scared of computer snakes. Samuel Jackson, yeah. ooh, he would have, he would have lost it. <laughs> there are so many snakes in this GD castle. Well, what did you think of uh, Charlie Hunnam's performance? Because I think a lot of people are sort of divided on him. As I an think actor. I think his abs did great. <laughs> they were a side yeah, nifty. <laughs> yeah they had more had character nifty, art than the mage yeah he had a nifty haircut I'll would give you, him that much would you say his abs were a core character oh stop it mm-hmm. boo well I come at a disadvantage because I haven't seen The Lost City of Z I know you two saw it and I know John you liked it a lot and I've heard many good things about his performance but for me uh, yeah and I also haven't watched Sons of Anarchy so I heard he's pretty good in that. But I mean, just from what I've seen, like a couple indies in Pacific Rim, he's always been kind of boring to me. He's like, he's just like kind of a generic leading man type. And this movie. It's like, oh, Sam Worthington and Army Hammer are busy. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't know, this movie, I thought it was a little better. Like, he actually had a smidge of a personality, especially in like the scenes where I could see Guy Ritchie's influence, like when he had like the whole like story recap thing, which kind of reminded me of like. Uh, Michael Pena's scenes in Ant-Man. Yeah. Like how he'd kept, like, except not, like, quite as, like, uh, clumsy, more just, like, he's just trying to keep everyone on the same page. But right. And at least that uh, movie, like, didn't, like, that movie didn't have to rely on that stuff. Right. But, yeah, no, I mean, I think he did okay. Like, I think for what he was given, what little he was given, I should say, he, he was just okay. Like, I didn't find him terrible but i don't think he really made the movie any better than it already was so he was one of the things that i personally like him and jude law i like them i, I think that jude law isn't capable oh. of being terrible and i uh, love jude law in this movie. yeah i was gonna say i think jude law did great <laughs> he, he was, he was like, delicious <laughs> okay. william I, th- I think you're still like really john you said the word the thrust too many times you're changing <laughs> <Yeah>. his vernacular <laughs> no but i mean I, yeah jude law he, he's a, he's not underrated, but I do I do think people like to crap all over him mm-hmm. for certain things. Uh, and, Alfie, in this, this movie, Young Pope, I think he's more than solidified himself as you know one of the top ten actors. I think uh, of his, not just his age group, but like in general. Yeah, uh, I loved him in this. I thought he was a great villain, 
And I, I thought Charlie Hunnam, I thought the setup was good. The idea of like him being like a brawler, running a brothel, all that stuff was great. I liked the side characters. I thought him and Jimon Hunsu had a lot of like mm-hmm. really good conversations. And I was like, man, I like this energy between him and his future Knights of the Round Table or whatever. But I don't know. The, it, the thing that dragged it for me was like his story arc. What, what is his main motivation? Oh, he has to be a king, but he doesn't really want to be a king. They don't do anything with that. I never really bought it. I never really bought that there was any sort of like conflict or struggle. And that I guess like you can get away with that if you make him likable enough that like I care more about what's happening in the moment. Because you could, you could look at like Iron Man, for example. Robert Downey Jr., he wants to uh, live up to his father's legacy. On paper, that's kind of like a boring story arc, right? But he brings that to life, right? Through like quirks and like, he's mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I don't think Charlie Hunnam really does that here. I don't think it's his fault. It's just, yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't, you know, he, I don't think he did like a fantastic job, but I also don't believe he got, like, I don't think he was given a lot of opportunity to perform well mm-hmm. in, in, in what, what he was given. So I, I feel like he was probably limited a little bit, but I also don't. I don't know. I've never. I haven't watched a lot of stuff with him in it. I didn't watch the Anarchy, Anarchy or any other things he was in. So I don't know him as an actor. But I like, like you guys said, he just kind of was there for me. Let's talk about things we liked about the movie. I know for me, the sequence that I thought was the the one sequence that I was like, yes, I'm, I'm in. Like this movie's got me. Uh, it was set up pretty well with like how they did the opening credits. Like I kind of liked that. Like the way that they did the title card and the opening things. They were able to tell the story rather quickly that way. But the scene that really got me was like when you watch, and you know, not spoiling anything, but like you basically watch the story of how he becomes an adult. Mm-hmm. And instead of a traditional montage, Guy Ritchie does what I think was a very interesting way to establish who he is. And it's lightning fast. And mm-hmm. that part of the movie is like so well done. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, I love that you're, tra- you're like trading in like the typical boring montage for something unique. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of 50-50 on that scene. Like, I I do like that it was, like, upbeat and, like, had, like, a fast tempo. It kind of, like, felt like a song, like, building up to, like, the chorus almost. Mm-hmm. But, like, they'd have, like, these very serious, like, domestic abuse scenes that, like, were very awkward. And they just kind of, like, I don't know, they just felt, they stuck out to me in, like, all the wrong ways. Really? Because I thought that they were useful and, like, he, they were, I thought they were a good way for, because, A, he's in a brothel. And B, right. like it, it explained like as a, as he is as an adult, like why he's like running it, protecting people. He become like he rises to becoming a leader because he wants to naturally protect people and stand up for people and use his strength for good. So that's I thought, right. that's why I thought it worked. But I can, see I can that. understand like why maybe the execution of that made you like a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I get that. I guess. If you, I don't want to say like, oh, you should be comfortable with it because it is pretty disturbing in a way. But it worked for me. I, I think that it, like, it gave me a reason to like care about him and care about what happens to his home. It's just, sure. like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that the other characters too, like the ones that like he banter's with, help bring all that stuff to life a little bit better. Um, yeah. I guess for me, I just got sick of they kept repeating. The like we're talking about a situation that already happened. Let's go back and forth mm-hmm. in time, and that that part was a bit over. Yeah, it got played out a little bit. Well, what were things that you really liked about the movie? Uh, I think I talked about most of them. I mean, Juba was evil, like deliciously evil. Uh, I liked the three body sex cracking. I liked the Maverick, like you were saying, that whole uh, when he first gets the sword. Yeah, and he or sorry, when he first uses the sword. I also like the scene where he first gets the sword. It was kind of neat. Uh, I mean, I like the beginning a lot with the elephants and stuff, but I don't really know why they're giant elephants. I kind of felt like in Kevin Smith's story about when he was writing the failed, uh, uh, what's the Superman film and the producer kept insisting that they'd have a giant spider in the film. And they're like, there's like no need to have a giant spider in this yeah. film. It kind of felt like that. Like some producers like, why don't we have giant elephants? And they're like, there's no need to have giant elephants. This is King Arthur. And like he was real insistent about it, and he was just like, "Fine, we'll have this opening scene. They'll, they'll just they'll, the elephants will come in. Whatever, we'll we'll solve that issue." That but, was that was one of my takeaways was that I think that Guy Ritchie can do better when he does when he has less of a budget, and he doesn't just add a bunch of artificially CGI things that really add nothing. Like yeah. they don't even add I, any originality because I mean it's just Lord of the Rings. 
Right. I will say, though, I do agree that he kind of works better on a tighter budget. But at the same time, this movie really wanted me or made me really want to see a Guy Ritchie comic book adaptation. Ooh, Especially like that, that that scene that you were talking about with the montage. That kind of reminded me of 300. Like how they established like the opening characters in that film, yeah. But Especially it's like, like the it's fight like training, fast forward, triangle. right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it'll be good. I just am very curious to see what a comic book adaptation will be. That doesn't mean it, it's a superhero movie. I'm just mean like a comic book adaptation. Like it could be like a B grade comic, you know, kind of similar to like some of Mark uh, Miller's like lesser known stuff. I could just see him really, you know, doing something interesting with that, but. I have to if that honest, happens, I'm, I'm kind of done with Guy Ritchie, like being hopeful okay. for his movies and looking forward to them. I don't think that he's made enough good movies in the last 10 years to warrant like, oh, a Guy Ritchie movie's coming out. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think. What's the question? Oh, what are the good things we like oh, about the movie? Yeah. Going on right now? Well, were you done? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Pretty much. I mean, I, I, like I said before, I, I think this movie, oh, sorry, before we were recording, I mean, I think this movie is kind of evaporating from my mind. So, like, anything we're talking about is going to be, like, in the dumpster by the end of the weekend. So, yeah, I think that's a good representation of this movie. It's, <laughs> it's pretty forgettable. Um, I think the things I like were the same, same as Will. I, Jude Law was definitely a highlight for me. I thought he did a great performance, I thought he just fit the part really well. His whole um, the the kind of small speech he gives that's also in the trailer about like there's nothing more satisfying than like the feeling of people fearing you. I thought that was a really cool moment. I thought it was really well done. Um, the production design was pretty good. Yeah, and I felt like I was, I was in this location. You know, sometimes when the CGI yeah. really kicked in, it took me out. Of yeah, it. when but like the lady in the exactly. water stuff happened, I'm like, where am I? Yeah, exactly. But for the most part, I agree with you. I think I think. It looked really good. I'm still doing it. I say I think every other word. I really need to. So you think a lot. <laughs> uh, I think you overthink. Uh, ooh, I think you're right. Uh, let's get into you our thought. final thoughts. Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. I think that they took the Arthurian legend and they did the most boring things they could with it, but in one of the most like overly stylized ways is the best way I can put it. I, I think that it, they just... I think when they were imagining like what makes the King Arthur story interesting, they just took out all the stuff that does make it interesting. Guinevere, Lancelot, Merlin. That stuff's important. I, I get like if you I, I don't like this whole like we have to start for a franchise. You don't start Iron Man without Pepper Potts. Yeah. So like I think that that's sure. where they sort of miss it. And uh didn't care about the villain for that reason, you know? It's like you don't start I understand like I could for example, I could see Fantastic Four starting without Doctor Doom. Right? But you don't start Fantastic Four without you know the thing and mm-hmm. that's kind of how it felt for me incomplete uh taking it, just taking away things like the whole point of king arthur 2 is like it's a story of how england unites right and like somebody becomes their first king and their real king you know and that's just completely missing from here this whole like the whole historical stuff and they added a bunch of boring like mages and people don't like each other stuff that just i was really hopeful get. for that when he first kind of set it up in the beginning, this I whole—I think I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm done with that stuff because Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah, I didn't see that have, one. Like, really done that to death. I guess if you ha- aren't as you know into them, then it wouldn't be nearly as. But yeah, I for me, I gave the movie uh, a C plus. There's enough good in here to say like, yeah, it's average, but there are some things you might like. Uh, what about you, Blash? I'm going with a solid C. Like you said, some cool stuff some good production values, good score, interesting scenes here and there, but overall just kind of forgettable mess overall. Sure. And uh, Maverick finish this out. I am with the wonderful Wash on this one. I'm giving it just a Ooh. just a plain not a solid C though. It's like a plain C. It's like a eh. C for Camelot. It's like a season 1 Pam C. It's like eh She's there. Season one, Pam. That's more. I, I would say a C would go to like season four, Pam. Yeah, but you you have an work. issue with Pam, though. Yeah, you have a very strong She's biased one issue of the with worst Pam. Worst fictional characters in NBC television. <laughs> in um, so yeah, I'm I'm getting to see. I think uh, a lot of people. Will, I mean, I, there's a good chance people enjoy it, and I don't think the CGI sequences are going to bother most people as much as it bothered me. I bet so, it would look better on like your phone. It's a biased C, but it's a C. All right, let's move on into our mini-reviews. Will Ashton, you managed to see Alien Covenant a week before the rest of us. What did you think of... uh, Well, first of all, can you walk us through, like, 
who is the director of this new Alien Covenant movie. You know, it's sure. Ridley Scott. And uh, mm-hmm. what is it basically about? All right. So Alien Covenant is more or less a seaboot slash sequel of Prometheus. Right. It, it's taking directly from some of the events that happened in that film without dwelling the spoilers. But it's also kind of redoing it in a way that's more alien-esque, like more like the original alien and its approach. But uh, yeah, so it's it's a kind of in-between film that is trying to kind of mend both uh, films together. And, and, and sorry, I, I misspoke. Ridley Scott did direct this film. Yeah, he did. He This is his third alien movie, right. technically. And that's what I mean. It's mending those, like it's mending all of them together. Alien, and, Prometheus and Alien. His right. three movies are now, yeah. This so, is like, this is another prequel, but it's tied to the other prequel, Prometheus, yeah. Correct, yeah. And I I would say, I was kind of mixed on Prometheus when it came out. I thought it looked gorgeous. I liked a lot of the actors. I thought Michael Fassbender did a very good job. And I thought, you know, it had some interesting ideas, but the execution was kind of messy, and it brought more questions than answers to the table. And a lot of the answers it did bring were kind of dubious and kind of odd. And a lot of the character decisions, which has been noted to death at this point, are very stupid, especially for like a bunch of scientists. And so this movie was kind of like, uh, it's, you know, continuing that storyline, but it's also kind of Ridley Scott's way to apologize for that film. Like, hey, you know, hey, let's be, let me try this again a little bit. Let's see if I can do better without Damon Lindelof tinkering with the script. And I don't know, overall, I thought it had a lot of the same issues as Prometheus. I think there's still a lot of characters that are doing a lot of dumb things. I think it's bringing up a lot of questions, and that doesn't really have time to answer. And I also think, like, it's still too indebted to the original Alien, in the sense that it's, like, kind of almost trying to recreate that magic, but not quite as efficiently, because there's, like, a lot more characters and a lot more story that they're trying to incorporate and I don't know, it, like, it's a mixed bag again, but without dwelling into spoilers, this movie takes a kind of turn into Crazyville in the second half, mm-hmm. primarily involving Michael Fassbender or Michael Fassbenders. Oh. That is, uh, I don't know, it, it just gets kind of fun. Like, it, like, the first half of the movie is kind of boring, and it's like, oh, like, at least the other Alien movies, like, they're not all great, but I kind of like them all because they each do something different. This first, like the first half of this movie is like the first one where it's like, eh, it's kind of spinning its wheels. It's just kind of doing the same thing as before. And then it goes into Crazyville and it's like, oh, okay, well, this movie is still kind of sloppy, but at least it's interesting by this point. And I don't know, overall, I mean, I think Michael Fassbender is great. I think there's a lot of great suspenseful moments. And I think that it's overall going to be worth your time and investment. How big of a fan are you of the Alien franchise in general? Well, I love the first two movies. I like all of them except, like, away from uh, Alien vs. Predator, which those movies are just garbage. I think they're all fun in their own ways, but I I agree that Alien 3 and Alien 4 and Prometheus are enjoyable, but they are very messy, and they all have their own issues. I'd say 3 and 4, the Alien vs. Predator. I I would say Prometheus is enjoyable, but the previous three, I mean, I just could not. I, I, especially Alien Resurrection, I because that one actually got close to being decent, and then just... God, I'm sorry. I, I only really like the writer, visual style of that movie. Yeah. I don't know. I only like the movie from a visual standpoint. Like, the story is just a mess, but I think the visuals and what they do are fun. Like, it, that to me is just, like, trashy fun. Like, it's, I've never it's had like a, a good, problem bad with movie. The, I've never had a problem with the stories of these movies, because that's not what I go to Alien to see. It, it's just... They, when they get basic things, like when when I'm not scared and I'm not in, like intrigued by the the science of the fiction, that's when I'm yeah. like, why am I watching this movie? You're alien, and I guess we hold it to like really high standard, which is why. But I, yeah. I think you said it pretty well when you said that none of them can really. They just keep trying to recapture the first two. Right. They don't understand. I think that the second one works really well, and I think Prometheus works to an extent because both of those movies, Aliens and Prometheus, actually try to like build upon what the first alien was right like aliens is more of an action film prometheus is more of a science fiction Mm -hmm. so that's why i'm really hoping that alien covenant does something with that i'm hearing though 
that it does sort of just feel like another Prometheus that is a little bit closer to Aliens. But yeah. I, I guess I'm hearing you say that it's closer to the first one. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like a it's like a hodgepodge of Prometheus, Alien, and Aliens. Yeah, like, I'm sure it's hard to define. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies that I really wish I was here next week so I could talk about in spoilers because there's a lot that happens in the spoiler territory that's just really interesting and I think is worth discussing for reasons both good and bad. But I would say overall, I'm glad I saw it. I'd give it like a B minus. I think it's competent enough and I think it's engaging enough that I am not mad that I saw it. But I think... How is Catherine Watterson one of my favorite actors that I don't like? Uh, I feel like almost anyone could have played a role. Okay, dang it. She, Catherine like, Watterson the most... is somebody who, like, I just really, like, I really think she's a great actress, but I never like her movies. Well, I mean, to be clear, I don't think she does a bad job. I just think her character is basically nothing. Like, most of the characters in this movie, away from David and, and um, Walter... Michael Fassbender's characters are just meatbags, like lambs to the slaughter, basically. They're just beasts all over again. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of problems with this movie, like a lot of problems, but it's enjoyable. I'll I'll give it that much. Are you going to write a review? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to write a review. We'll, We'll consult your review when we talk about it next week. So it'll feel like you're here. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I'd give it, like I said, I'd give it a B minus. Okay. I think if you're excited to see it, you should check it out. But if you're expecting something on the same level as Alien or Aliens, like just go moderate, yeah, you know, like thrust yourself. Ma- there it yeah, is. Yeah. I knew you were going to find a way. All right. Yeah. Uh, so okay. yeah, let's talk about longest uh, mini review ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was worth it because he's not going to be here next week. Yeah. So it was a mini. It was a mini maximum review. Let's talk about Master of None Season 2. So Maverick and I have seen... So I've seen the first eight or nine episodes. I think I'm on like five or six. Okay. Uh, so this is the follow-up to Aziz and Zari's Season 1. And I gotta say, you know, the first season of Master of None was definitely, I think, a big surprise to people. It was a, It's a show, it's a comedy drama series that uh, became, in a way, like culturally relevant i think a lot of people have seen this show a lot of its episodes really stuck with people mm-hmm. i've had a lot of conversations with people about master of none episodes it's kind of crazy to me um and I, th- I think that speaks to what i think was a really strong first season one of the best shows on television one of the best comedies on television right now which is saying a lot considering we're in a just ridiculous golden age of tv uh and yeah it won an emmy for one episode in its last season the mm-hmm. parents episode and oh, season two, episode. I know, I know. Season two kicks off with what I feel. This is what I really like about season two, just to start things off. They, it feels like they looked at season one, they looked at the success of season one, and then they realized what made it good. Mm-hmm. And that was the inventiveness and the originality, where they just did what they wanted to do. They, they had their hearts in it. There's, there's an episode in season two where Aziz Ansari, like, you feel like he's actually explaining that where he's saying, like, I don't want to do, like, seven seasons of this show. Like, my heart wouldn't be in it. You don't want that. This is what I want to do. Yeah. That is, like, the rubric of this season. Because Absolutely. every episode feels like they made it because they wanted to, not because they wanted the second season to be as successful as the first one, not because they wanted to do what worked already. Yeah. That's the best way I can say it. Without spoiling anything, season two, if you, if you were on board with season one, if you even liked it a little bit, like I, I know some people don't love Master of None because they think because the character of Azine Zanzari is not very relatable. Like the things that <laughs> that's one of the things you hear is like it's a show about uh, Aziz Zanzari having problems only Aziz Zanzari can have. Right. Well, it, it, it's not just about like the racial stuff uh, because the racial th- stuff I do think is really relevant mm-hmm. uh, because they do tackle things that I, th- I know a lot of people wish was shown more on TV series and movies, but. In terms of like, I, I think what people complain about is the fact that he has tons of money and he goes on like crazy adventures and his problems are like, man, I'm a, you know, foodie in New York. And like, y- you know, like 99% of the world doesn't have the problems that he has yeah. trying to chase down a food truck and, you know, being a hipster millennial. But I, I think that the, the magic of this show is that they know that, like the show knows that you're not Aziz Ansari. You're mm-hmm. not like an actor you're not going to go to Italy and have these amazing and like learn to make pasta. Yeah. Instead, the show is like, but the idea is that everybody has 
problems, the same problems. Everybody deals with like romance um, in similar ways. And it, I think that they do a good job of making him feel down to earth. And without getting into it, because I, I want, I, I think everybody should watch the season fresh. I think if you've never watched Se- uh, Master of None, this is the best time to start. It's all on Netflix. Watch it, binge the whole thing. It, it's one of the few shows I've watched recently where I have been binging it. I, you know, it came out yesterday, and I'm almost done. Yeah, um, I, it, it's a great show. I the first season started off a little slow for me, um, and I think it did for a lot of people. Where I was just I, with some of those same complaints. Where I was like, I don't. I don't know what I can get from this. Um, but as it went on, it, it's it's really good show. And it's not even like, it's not good for a comedy or good for a whatever. It's just a great show. And season two, um, you can kind of see them starting to have a little bit more fun with the creativity behind some of yeah. It's the same issues and the same depth as far as what they're tackling, but the way that they're doing that is a lot more fun. I mean, the season opener for season two is like mostly in Italian. It's black and white. Like... Yeah, so they're nodding to the bicycle thief. Yeah. Just because Aziz Ansari actually went to Modena and he fell in love with like Italian cinema. And he was like, so he and Alan Yang are responsible for making the show what it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the experiences of Dev Shaw are, you know, combined in like both of them. And you can definitely tell. And like, what I like about the show is it feels like they're not, they're not scared. To, to make you realize at multiple points that like this is Aziz Ansari's life. This is like the actual real person's life. Yeah. He's being really honest. I think that's why I do find it relatable anyway, even though I'll never go through what he goes through necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but I feel like I'm peeking into another person's perspective, which I think is like the stealth genius of the show. For sure. It's got hints of what I kind of experienced when I watched Louie, but in a more I think this show's more real, whereas Louis is like satirical in a way. Right. He's kind of making fun of his life, but I still felt like when I was watching Louis, like I like I believe this is what Louis C.K.'s life is like. You know exactly. I mean? And I'm not going to say that Master of None is better than Louis. Objectively, mm-hmm. I prefer Master of None because mm. it feels more of like it, it does more things. Louis is great. It's consistently funny. Yeah, every episode is good. But Master of None feels like there are some of those episodes that feel like little movies. The one I'm on now. I think it's, it's episode just, five or six and they're going through this perspective change of people throughout the city and I'm not going to give yeah. anything away, but I, uh, the way even, uh, the movie's framed, it's like a widescreen movie. I'm just like, wow, this is, yeah, this it's is just it's really just enjoyable. Story time. Yeah. Um, Will Ashton hasn't seen any of master of none. No, because Will Ashton is just too much in love with the seasons. All right. He can't handle it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, is it like less surreal than like Louie or something like Atlanta? It's more. It's a bit closer to Atlanta and Louis. If you were talking about surrealness, I still need to see because Atlanta. Louis will like be super meta sometimes. Um, right. Yeah. This is definitely more grounded than Louis. Okay. But it is sort of the same idea of like you feel like it is Louis C.K.'s life mm-hmm. in that way. Um, anyway, that's Master of None. It's just a wonderful piece of like artful. Just Netflix do it. Binge it's just comedy. one of those things where it's like just watch it. Just watch. Just it. go just watch it. it, and don't give up after two episodes. Like watch the first season. Mm-hmm. Once you get to like, the, especially the parents episode, Whew. so fantastic. Which his real parents are in it. Yeah, his real parents. Like, like, that's why you feel like, man, I'm in Aziz Ansari's yeah. life. His dad is hilarious. His dad is one of my favorite parts of the show. He, I, I love like he just hams. He's so into it, and his, his, the mom just couldn't care. She's like, I'm in this. Yeah, you know. But his dad is like commits to it. His little brother like writes for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, his best friend in the show, Eric Wareheim, is actually like he directs most of the episodes. You, you just get that, like, this is a passion project for every single yeah. person involved. Aziz Ansari has done that a lot with his stuff, too. Even when he played Tom Haverford in Parks and Rec, there's a few episodes where, like, they're using the iPads on a dating website and his actual, co- like, his actual cousin's on there. Like, he's always throwing little tidbits towards his, like, actual family. Yeah. Hmm. So that's Master of None Season 2. Highly recommend uh, checking it out. If it's you didn't not, like uh, the first It's not season, a highly recommend. It's... Chance. It's a must. Like we're not recommending. We're saying go do it or don't come back. I'm kidding. Gosh. I'm just kidding. I, uh, <laughs> I will say that as someone who doesn't like Aziz Ansari, I am <gasps> definitely inter- I, I'm definitely interested to check this out. So that's I'll a good you, recommendation. I, don't, I didn't like. I don't like Aziz Ansari's stand-up, and he's my least favorite character on Parks and Recreation. Master. I agree with both those points. It's still fantastic. Yeah, so, I don't like his stand-up. I do like his character on Parks and Rec, but I don't watch his stand-up. He's quotable, but I never yeah. cared about his story arcs. Yeah. Whenever one of the episodes was mainly about Tom Haverford, I was like, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you can go into watching it kind of 
forcing those things like if you yeah. just go into it just watching a show and forgetting that it's tom haverford and it's the same or whatever which i found myself pretty I, I was able to do that you're easy it's easy to do yeah all right so master of none uh joseph hernandez our very own uh on we got this covered gave it five out of five stars what yeah mm. he's already seen the whole thing so uh you can definitely check out that review and the cinema homework and uh let's get into our next mini review snatched will ashton you were able to go see this one amy schumer Goldie mm-hmm. Hawn. I oh, forget who this movie. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what is what is Snatched about, and uh, what'd you think? Yeah, so Snatched is the new Amy Schumer comedy, which I guess based comedy? on the way. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say, based on the internet's reaction to her of late, that might turn some people off, but it's also the cinematic return of Goldie Hawn yeah. after I believe 15 or 16 years, she's back on the silver screen but and Schumer doesn't play her daughter. Weird yeah, that's know. true. Uh, yeah. So it's Schumer and Goldie Hawn as a, mo- a daughter, mother couple. Schumer's character is this kind of self-absorbed, uh, woman child who's kind of broken up by and, uh, fired from her job on the same day and she was supposed to go on this trip with her boyfriend but he broke up with her obviously and the trip is not refundable so she kind of uh inspires her shut-in mom played by goldie Hawn, to go on this trip to south america where they kind of annoy each other for a bit and then schumer's character meets this uh kind of suave uh mysterious man who eventually kind of leads her into this uh, vaguely, uh, I don't know, it's not really clear what exactly they kidnap them for, but essentially they escape and it's just them on the on the run the whole time. And I don't know, it's, it's a completely mediocre comedy. Like everything about it is just okay. It's directed by Jonathan Loving, who we talked about on this podcast before, the really? guy did The Wackness and... Fifty fifty, and they, yeah, he directed, and he doesn't really. But isn't this Paul you don't really Feig? See, Paul Feig. He produced it. He Paul Feig produced it. Right, but like I don't know, just the idea of like Jonathan Levine and Paul Feig doing a movie together, just I don't know, that's weird to me, and I can I'm starting to understand why this movie has a low Rotten Tomato score. But sorry, go on. Yeah, I mean, just like like the directing, the direction is just like it's, like it's fine like there's no real creative influence it just feels like they're just making a movie uh schumer is just okay like she doesn't really like do anything you haven't seen from her before goldie Hawn clearly is having a lot of fun being on the silver screen again and i think her warmth and her energy is what makes this movie a little more acceptable than might have been otherwise but she doesn't really have much to do like her character is pretty flat as it is and it just feels like a shame because it's Goldie Hawn, and you think that she, I think she should have a really great, you know, cinematic return. And, I don't know, just, like, like everything about this movie, like, like there are a couple of funny moments, but there's no real belly laughs. It's, like, amusing in spurts, but it's not, like, like, there's, like, good characters like Wanda Sykes, and has this uh, partner, played by Joan Cusack, who's, like, this former Marine special ops person who, like, took out her own tongue so she can't like tell any secrets As you and do. she's like a super sleuth it's this super sleuth character who's a lot of fun but she just doesn't really have any real like uh quirk beyond that it's just kind of like there here and there and she's amusing but she doesn't make the movie worth watching because she's so like sporadically seen and i don't know it's just like everything about this movie is just like meh like i i can't really think of anything that's like really good besides like the scenery it just—it's a movie that exists, and I felt like, with all the people involved, it could have been a good comedy or at least a decent comedy. It just was completely mediocre. What was your final grade? I gave it a C plus. All right. It's a big old meh. It's a big old whatever. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, this next one then uh, is the Wall, final film to talk about. Okay. And me uh, again. I I, I do <laughs> want to check this one out, uh, just because I do love Dog Lyman's movies. Uh, He's actually doing Edge of Tomorrow too. Mm. Um, Did you call him Dog Lyman? Doug Lyman or Doug yeah, Lyman? Yeah. However you say it. I was just thinking of I was thinking of like a 
dog version of Doug Lehman. It was amusing me for a moment. It was, yeah, it's probably a joke on Secret Life of Pets that I missed. No, I was thinking more like Doug uh, from Up. Mm, yeah, so with the U. No, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but okay. I don't. I don't. I'm not his biggest fan. I thought Jumper was okay, and I'm not that into the Bourne movies or Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But I did really like Edge of Tomorrow, and I, I've been thinking about checking out The Wall. So what? what this one. This is a. Uh, yeah, I know that John Cena is in this. Yeah, John Cena is well. There's two characters in the film. Well, three technically, but yeah. it's a cha- It's a real time uh, nineteen or sorry, two thousand seven Iraq War chamber piece where it's just two characters in the middle of the desert fighting for their lives, and like that's about it. Is it a- like there's Aaron Tyler Johnson? Taylor yeah, Johnson? sorry, Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Michael Cena and. Uh, only a voice, a voice only performance you, by you said a guy. Michael Cena is that like Michael Sarah's? Oh, sorry, sorry, John <laughs> Cena. Just picture John Cena and Michael Sarah having a kid. Yeah, just yeah. Michael Cena's fun. head on John Cena's body, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a super muscular guy who's like really awkward and yeah. insecure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in revolt. We could go to the gym or whatever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. So it's just it's uh, eighty-one minute like really laser focus uh, film, and I don't know. Like I had no expectations for this going in. Like you said, Doug Liman's kind of a hit or miss director. He he also did Swingers and Go and like you said, Jumper and uh, Mister and Mrs. Smith. So he's kind of all over the place. But I think his best movies are the ones that are grounded and very you know central to the characters. So Jumper and whatever. Uh, no, Jumper is all over the place in more ways than one. Oh, but like, yeah, <laughs> all over the place. I get it. Yeah, but like, like if, for example, like Edge of Tomorrow. I don't know if I love that movie as much as some other people, but I think that is a movie that it's very character focused, but it's also a genre film. So I think the genre is just there to help make the characters more lively and more uh, engaging. Plus, and so has this movie- Emily Blunt, so it gets like a full letter yeah. grade, uh, hmm. you know, advanced just for that. But yeah, the wall is like such a like simple movie, but it just I, I maybe just because I had no expectations going in, or just didn't know anything about it besides the title, which was like I think we even joked about it at one point. I was like, "Was this like supposed to be like the Great Wall's mediocre, or even more mediocre uh, sequel?" But uh, it's just I don't like I was maybe just because I had low expectations, but I just, I was really into this movie. Huh. It was you know it's suspenseful. It's Super well directed. It's mostly just like an exercise of directing for Doug Lyman because the story is very like kind of like uh, threadbare and just kind of there to keep the Doug Lyman in check. But it just out like the performances are all tight. The suspense is just it keeps you engaged and like it's not like a film that has like a ton going for it. Like even though it has like political uh, undertones, it's not really a political movie per se. It's just more like hey, you know, war is bad. Kind of the same like with Jarhead. But uh, it, it's just, I don't know, like, it's a movie that you should, I think, same as me, like, just go in with, like, little to no understanding of what is actually happening in the film. Because I think if you just go in, you know, either go to the theater blind or plus play on Netflix or brand on Redbox and you just see it cold, I think you're really going to yeah. engage well, this, this film. Is, this is an Amazon film, so I'll probably be yeah. checking this one out uh, when it comes I, on Amazon. I really want to watch this, yeah. yeah. It's got a uh, yeah. It's got a decent run tomato score. I think it's in the upper sixties. So for eighty eight minutes, sure, I'm in. Or eighty one. Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. Like I said, it, it it harkens back to a lot of other films like Buried and like I said, Jarhead and Gravity it's and a bottle episode. So yeah, like uh, yeah, essentially yeah, uh, like Phone Booth, a couple others like that. But it just it does it so well, and the characters themselves and the acting just make you so engaged. And the direction from Doug Liman, I think it's honestly some of his best to date. And like I said, it's like a real-time movie. So if you can, just watch this like straightforward. Like, don't take a bathroom break or anything if you can help it. But will just I, I can't? There. I can't watch this because it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. That is true. So that's that. I that's one thing. I'm, I'm, like, there are no like pointless flashbacks or anything in this movie. Like, it's all in the moment, and it doesn't get boggled down by anything. It's just like, hey, yeah. here's a situation. It's a really messed up situation, and we're gonna address it appropriately. So and it's not it's, like Billy Lynn's halftime walk because that's the movie I thought of when you said uh, flashbacks. Yeah, and, that was that was a disappointment. 
but that was like that's how like the book is so i get why they did it that way yeah but that 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 i don't know i i thought the book wasn't super amazing to begin with so i can see why that movie kind of ended up not great but it's definitely better than billy lynn's long halftime walk all right so wrapping up what was your final grade for the wall oh oh yeah b awesome Ooh. b for barrier all right <laughs> that's the last one mini reviews uh and that'll do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening to Cinemaholics. Once again, uh, please re- leave a review for us on iTunes if you like our show. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts and uh, Google Play, Stitcher, all of that. And email us. What, what is your favorite King Arthur movie? We want to know which one is the best. Uh, Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Give us an email. Let us know what you think of us personally. Mm-hmm. And, as people. Yeah, as people, as, uh, you know, Cinemaholics. And we'll see you next week. We won't have Will Ashton. Maybe we'll have a surprise mm. guest. We'll see what happens. And uh, until then, are we going to say something, Will? It's a surprise, Will. Yeah. I was going to say, what if it's just me like with a mustache? <laughs> you already have a mustache. <laughs> Audibly mustaches. Right. <laughs> um, okay. That'll do it for us this week. From the internet, California, I am John Agroni. I am from the internet, Pennsylvania. I'm Will. And from some sort of prison thing with bad internet <laughs> connection. From a prison cell with bad internet connection, I'm Maverick. See you next time. Bye.